Paix-toi, n'écoute pas Babylone. Il t'est fourni des armes pour tuer ton peuple. N'écoute pas Afrique. Afrique Nanga Oyamba, toi cheveux crepus. Batwa Mayele Bosimba Niba Bigé. Oya Bilanga Bosimba Niba Congo. Simba Niba Boko Mamuna Le Katero Afrika. Malobate, Monsalande. Africa, Mobali Amingao, Africa, Hatona Mosolo, Africa. Tu gagnes ton nom par-ci par-là. Quand c'était les blancs, Negro a souffert, mais c'était mal de connaître. Negro a combattu pour arriver en black en black, devenu le stade de la guerre. Thank you and welcome to Congo Live. Thank you for joining us today on 4th of July, this uh, beautiful Saturday. It's raining today. So um, thank you and welcome to Congo Live. We have, my name is Patricia Lokwa. We also have Kambali Musavuli, who's calling us from Chicago. Kambali, how are you doing today? Happy 4th of July. Well, it's important that we mention that it was also Congo's independence on June 30th, and it was also Patrice Lumumba's uh, birthday on July 2nd. It's important that we commemorate that, given that this is Congo Live. Yes, yes. And uh, also, uh, it's kind of interesting uh, to think about Patrice Lumumba's birthday. Um, this year is a very special year for Pan-Africanism, uh, because uh, Patrice Lumumba, Franz Fanon, and Malcolm X, all three were born in 1925. And they all have uh, uh, are celebrating this year the 90th birthday. So it's uh, quite inspiring uh, to see these leaders uh, from many different countries uh, putting f- up front uh, the importance uh, not just of uh, the black world around the world, but also the importance of the liberation of the Congo for the betterment of Africa and African peoples. And what we're going to do a little bit, we're going to have a follow-up from a last show that we had, uh, continuing on with Beyond Africa. Uh, it's going to be part two with our special guest with uh, Miss Mr. C. Daniel Dawson, who is well-educated when it comes to the Kingdom of Congo, and he's going to really talk to us about the differences between the Kingdom of Congo and the Congo. Yes, I mean, uh, he's, he's a great scholar. You know, I've uh, watched many of his videos online and uh, his lectures, and he's always inspiring. And uh, last time he was on the show, we spoke about the presence and the influences of the ancient kingdom of Congo in the Americas. It was a really interesting show. Uh, we had a lot of insight around, um, really mainly around the music and how rumba, bomba, funk uh, in Cuba, in Puerto Rico. You know, I'm a fan of salsa music as well. Uh, but he was able to share with us how you can see and feel the Congo in uh, the Americas, in those, those cultures all across, uh, all across uh, America, and particularly in the U.S., in the southern part of the U.S. Absolutely. And we're honored to have Mr. C. Daniel Dawson on the show with us today. Our conversation is going to surround the ancient kingdom of Congo traditions and the spirituality in the Americas. But before getting into that, Kambali, can you share the news with us of what's going on in the Congo and around the world? Absolutely. And we're still lifting up uh, the names of our brothers, uh, Fred and Eve. Uh, Fred and Eve were arrested um, a while back, almost now over... 
uh, two, two to three months now uh, since March, and um, they have been wrongfully imprisoned, so we're letting our listeners know about the story. Uh, currently, the government is still pursuing charges against them, and uh, the, there has been a letter uh, that, uh, that is being circulated at the moment, uh, written by our, our friends of uh, La Lucha. Uh, Lucha is a lutte pour le changement, a youth group inside of the Congo, where they have had uh, many leaders uh, and intellectuals from around the world calling for the release of Fred Bauma and Yves Makwambala, who's been in prison for quite a while now. Um, on the political end, there has been an extraordinary parliamentary session called by the Congolese uh, uh, Parliament uh, to discuss the electoral calendar. Next year is going to be the elections, and there have been a lot of discussion around what is actually going to happen next year. Will the current president of the Congo, who is at his last term, uh, will each uh, work in changing the constitution and run again for a third term? Or will we see change happening in 2016? Uh, the debate around the national dialogue is continuing. Uh, we shared in the past that the opposition leaders have um, said no to the national dialogue that the Congolese president is uh, calling for. Um, unfortunately, one of the political parties called UDPS has agreed to participate in this dialogue, but they have put a stipulation that there needs to be international mediation. Uh, during that time. So President Kabila, on the June 30th speech that he gave to the nation, uh, June 30th, as you mentioned, is the anniversary of Congo's independence, uh, the 55th anniversary. So as the President of the Congo spoke during that, um, uh, gave his address on that day, he did say that he is not in agreement of having international mediation of the national dialogue. Um, you clearly stated also on the news that the July 2nd was the 90th birthday of a Congolese hero, an independence hero, Patrice Lumumba. It's being celebrated all around the world, including even here in the U.S. in many parts of the United States. Um, it's also a commemoration date of uh, Kimpa Vinta, uh, the Congolese uh, women leader, who fought the Portuguese. So July 2nd is a very important date uh, for the Congo. This week marks the beginning of Yole Africa's festival in Goma. It's a art uh, film festival taking place in the Congo every year. And uh, it's a 10-day festival that brings people from inside of the Congo and internationally to display the art, the music, and, and pretty much its expression, uh, cultural expression through the, the art. This year is the 10th year that the youth of the Congo, specifically in the North Kivu province, have been hosting this wonderful uh, festival. And lastly, for those of us who love hockey, we now have a Congolese. Who, is, who has been drafted in the NHL. So we're having more and more Congolese who are joining international sports here in the United States. So Bokonji Imama from um, the Congo, he resides in Montreal, has been drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning in Florida. So we look forward to seeing um, this young Congolese uh, rise to the occasion of representing the Congo in the NHL.
just listening to Kimbara by the late Celia Cruz, one of the most popular salsa artists of the 20th century and a Cuban-American singer and performer. She earned 23 gold albums and was a recipient of the National Medal of Arts. She was renowned internationally as the Queen of Salsa. Her real name is Ursula Hilaria Celia de la Caridad Cruz Alfonso also known by her stage name Celia Cruz, born on October 21st, 1925, and passed on July 16th, 2003. She actually performed this song in Kinshasa um, in 1974 for the musical fest before the fight of Rumble in the Jungle between um, Muhammad Ali and Foreman. I thought that was a, a very interesting fact. Did you know that, Kambali? Yes, yes. I mean, it was a very uh, interesting uh, event with many artists from around the world coming. So um, what we're going to be touching on today or continuing from our last show is going to be on Beyond Africa. Um, if Kambale, you can share a little bit about what we discussed last time and um, a little bit about the Kingdom of Congo and the Congo. Definitely. Last time we had Professor Nelson was the first part of the Beyond Africa series where we discussed uh, mainly the music, uh, how we could see in the music, uh, the presence of Africa, but today we will focus mainly on is the spirituality and how Congo spirituality or Congo's traditions as as can be seen across the, the Americas. And this discussion will touch on the Caribbean, North, Central, and South America. So we'll just simply call it um, the Americas. And uh, we are very, very glad uh, to have. Uh, Professor Dawson joined us again, given the high demand of our listeners for him to join the show once more. 
And hello, then, Patricia. Hello, Kambali. Hi, Dawson. How are you doing today? I'm um, doing very well. I'm happy to be with you. And just to give a little bit of uh, your bio for our listeners who did not get an opportunity to um, kind of get a little bit of your history and what your accomplishments are, um, I'll go ahead and share that with our listeners. Uh, you're a scholar, a lecturer of Africans um, in the diaspora, and you've impacted, you've had a large impact in the American culture with the researches um, that you've done. Um, based on what I have and what we discussed the last time, Professor Dawson is an expert on the history of maroon societies, communities of colors that have fought for and established liberated zones of social, political, and artistic severity in the past and the present. He lectures frequently on the subject and is a co-author of Capoeira, and that is a martial art and cultural tradition. Uh, Dawson also has taught seminars on African spirituality in the Americas at the University of Iowa, New York University, and Yale University. A multi-talented artist, Professor Dawson, you've also worked with photography, you've worked with filmmakers, you've just done the whole nine yards, and we're so happy to have you back here on Congo Life so you can uh, give us a little bit more of your knowledge so that uh, we can also grow as you're growing, as you're learning about um, the Congo. We also, uh, before we get into that, we want to remind our listeners who are listening in to call us in if you want to participate in this conversation at 410-481-1000. One zero, and again, welcome, uh, Mr. Dawson. How are you doing today? Why, thank you. I'm very, very. I'm doing very well. I'm glad to be back with you too. And it's really funny to start with Celia Cruz because she's a beautiful example of of how you'll have um, Congolese culture in the Americas, and don't, you don't have to speak about it. Like the name of her song, in fact, is, is based on Congolese language. You know, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure what's interesting is that most Cubans can tell you exactly what it means. I don't know what Kimbala means, but I know that it, it's associated with rumba, and she's singing about rumba, another Congo word. And I mean, it's, it's so deep in Cuba, it's so continuous in Cuba, too. And definitely, and uh, that brings us to the influence of music. I mean, uh, for us to feel the influence of music in uh, Cuban music or Latin American music, people should have still some form of connection back to the Congo. Right. Um, what, what is, uh, do you think that uh, the connection that kept them, especially we're speaking about Kimbara, mm-hmm. um, is it spiritual, uh, that connection? Oh, 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 of course it's spiritual, but it's, it's also a very direct connection. And it's, it's, it's not only is it direct, but it's, um, uh, it refers back and forth because Central Africans come to Cuba, become the vast majority of the people who go to Cuba. They form the popular culture. Out of the popular culture come things like rumba and, and things like son. But that ends up going back to Africa, influencing Western Africa, Senegal, and, and the rumba of, of Central Africa. So you end up with, with Africans, uh, Central Africans changing the making, uh, making the music of Cuba, that music coming back to Africa and changing the music of Africa. Yeah. So it's incredible because it's, it's Africans recognizing this kind of beauty that is also theirs coming back to them. So we've uh, specifically Celia Cruz. She's one of my favorite artists. I know she was a openly uh, practitioner of Santeria. Right, she uh, definitely was. Yeah. And with that religion, how can one visibly see that influence of the Congo in in Santeria? Well, in, in, well, Santeria is is actually Yoruba based. It's based on the Yoruba traditions. Mm-hmm. But there, there are other um, religious traditions in Cuba that are Congolese based. One is Palo Mayombe, Palo Monte. Now, Palo Mayombe, of course, is coming from the Yombe area of Congo, and it, it talks mm-hmm. about itself. 
but also the the um, ideas of it. It's called palo because it's stick. It's palo is stick in Spanish, but it's also understanding the Central African idea of every plant being valuable, every plant having a power, every plant having an energy and useful for something. So you end up with, with the religion being called palo. But the same thing is true of the United States, where you, where people in the United States in the American South who work with plants, they're called root doctors mm. for, for working with roots or working with plants. And everybody had an aunt or an uncle who could cure you if you had a cold or if you had an illness or if you had a kind of spiritual problem, they could cure you with the proper plant or the proper drink made from a plant. So that's, I mean, that's part of the hidden tradition that has a, a Central African root to it. But there's so much more to it. In Cuba, the, the, there's a, a, another tradition. Well, not just Cuba, but in, in the Americas. The, the, with the Yoruba tradition, they have, for ancestors, they have a tradition called Egungu, which is a Yoruba ancestors. But in, in, in um, the Congo tradition, you tend to have venerated ancestors. And they're Simbi. They become Simbi in, in, in Congo. But in the America, in Brazil, they become Preto Velho. They're old blacks. They're called old blacks. And in Cuba, they're called Congo guides. But this is part of a, 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 a system called Espiritismo, which is based on, on Congo ideas, but also on Kardecian ideas. Ideas, Alan Kardec, a, a French uh, mystic who w- created a system, he thought, of communicating with ancestors. But it ties right into Congolese traditions. And so you end up with all these different uh, black figures in, the, in these um, religions that actually have a Congo root. For example, in, in um, Cuba, the name of one of the most famous figures is, is uh, Ta Jose, Atata Jose. Tata is the Congo word for father. So you end yeah. up with, with, with Tata Jose being an important part of that. But, it, but it's throughout the Americas, because in Dominican Republic they have the same kind of figure, and his name is Candelo. But Candelo has two names. He's Candelo Viejo, O Candelo, or Candelo Congo, Candelo, Congo Candelo. So they're telling you where it comes from. They're telling you exactly that, that it's, it's um, definitely related to the Congo, and it's related to Congo traditions. Keeping it on that note, uh, Western uh, religion of uh, the, I'll call it the remix of Christianity, mm-hmm. uh, during the time of um, missionaries in Europe indoctrinating uh, Europeans into Christianity, what they right. did was to insert some of the European culture within uh, the religion. Uh, what, what do you see that this has not also happened as strong, especially in the Americas with the influence of Congolese uh, religion in it? But this, this actually happened in the Congo, too. This is because the kingdom of the Congo became Christian in 1491. Okay. So it's very early on. In fact, they saw themselves as the second Christian country, the first Christian country being Ethiopia. And so they had ambassadors to Rome, ambassadors to uh, Ethiopia. But one of the most famous ambassadors was Nevunda, who was one of the friends of the Pope, and he, there's a statue of him in the Vatican because he was one of the ambassadors. And part of the things that um, the Congolese love to do, they love to argue theology. They love to discuss theology, so they're always ready to have a discussion, a religious discussion, too. But but it also influences the Christianity that comes to the Americas, because there, there are many different ways that Christianity deals with. Like If you use a European model of Christianity, you have a dominionist theory. You have a whole idea that we are made as um, people who rule the earth, who, who have dominion over the earth and the animals and all the things that are on it. 
But in the Congolese idea, we have an understanding of Christianity as uh, in, in Christianity of us being participants in the earth and us and everything in the earth having some value, particularly the natural world, particularly the plants of the natural world. So you end up with another kind of ecological sense that comes out of those traditions. But you also have that people understanding the natural world as a place to communicate with the deities. So you end up with, in, in African-American Christianity, you end up with things they are called hush harbors on Nilaway stations. And these are actually like secret, quiet places in the forest where people would go for a spiritual revelation. And that becomes part of African-American Christianity, but that's really Congolese ideas about the forest, about how to deal with the natural world. How do we, mm -hmm. So how do we uh, get into the image of the black Madonna with the presence of a woman figure in our religion? I'm in the Congo, just even in the late 60s, I always think about Mama sure. Onema and uh, mm -hmm. now with uh, the Americas. Where do we see those images of strong women uh, deities? Well, I think, I think that may be much older. That might be coming out of Roman em em conquest, ending up with Egyptian ideas in Rome being spread throughout. So you have this kind of trinity that goes on. The Black Madonna might be part of that, too. So there's another deeper... Uh, older history that needs to be really explored, which I don't really have an expertise in, in terms of that. But I know there are black Madonnas throughout um, uh, the America. You find a black Madonna in Poland. Mm. <clears throat> and I don't think there are many black people going to Poland, so there's another understanding, too. And it might be older, it might be the kind of pre-Christian ideas coming back. You know, for, for black Madonna. We definitely know that one Saturday is not enough to um, hear so much that you have to offer. I know I've, I've just at home, it takes me about an hour. I have to take an hour out of a week just to listen to some of your uh, lectures. And I know that they're very, very um, interesting information. I've got to learn a lot about my history just through uh, listening to you. But uh, before we continue this conversation, I would like to take a short break um, so we can give our callers an opportunity to get our number for one zero four eight one one zero one zero and we're going to be listening to Kempa Sote by Bookman Experience. <laughs> Oh, 
And that was Bukman Experience, a music-raising band from the city of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Singing Kampasuti, the band derives its name from Dudi Bukman, a voodoo priest who led a religious ceremony in 1791 that is widely considered the start of the Haitian Revolution. The other half of the band's name, Experience, is a Creole word for experience, and it was inspired by the band's appreciation for music of um, Jimi Hendrix. And that's something um, I'm learning as um, I'm speaking to uh, Jay Darson about, um, Daniel Dawson, about the connections between uh, the Congo Kingdom and the what's happening here in the USA as we are today. And, and I'm always interested in finding out more. Uh, I also hear a call and response, just like uh, the traditional drummings in the Congo. Is there an ancient oh, yeah. Congo spirituality in Haiti, Mr. Dawson? Oh, are you serious? Of course. But uh, <laughs> I don't know who's choosing your music, but it's perfect. It's perfect for, for making the points you want to talk about. Because in terms of Bukman experience, what you heard, if you hear that, like that rolling percussive sound, it's not, it's not staccato, but it kind of has a rolling feeling. That's also coming out of a kind of... Congo sensibility about music. And if you listen to kalimba music or some of the drumming from the Congo, it rolls like that too, which is really beautiful. But it, it, if you don't realize it, you, you think it's just a kind of unique form in Haiti, but what it is is a continuation of that Congolese sensibility with different instruments. And you, you can hear the vaccine when they play those one-note trumpets, the way they're hocketed. They're hocketed very much like aka atwa music. It's a, a beautiful continuation in, in, in terms of, of, of the Americas, but it becomes part of the popular culture and it gets hidden, it gets submerged, so people don't realize specifically what they're talking about. And e- even in Haiti, where like Haiti, there, there's some um, description of Haiti as being Dahomean. There's a heavy Dahomean influence, but the heaviest influence in Haiti is in uh, is from the Congo. And yeah. th- th- there's a writer who wrote the, wrote the book on the Haitian Maroons, and he talks about he doesn't know how that misconception came about that Haiti, Haiti is is um, uh, Dahomean because the, the vast majority of Africans who came to Haiti were from Central Africa. And it's it's funny because during the time of the revolution, I, I think I, I think we should also mention that there is a reading list that. that that's you know been posted before and it really would be helpful. But one of the scholars, John Thornton, who who has uh, written a lot about the Congo and the Kingdom of the Congo, John Thornton feels that during the time of the Haitian revolt, the the language spoken in the fields by the people doing the revolt, the people leading the revolt, was um, Kikongo. And he said there's a problem because when the, some of the kind of creolized leadership were getting a little cold feet about having the revolution, they said, we're going to have to have it anyway, because the people in the fields are going to have it. And they, they, But they didn't speak the same language as the people in the fields. The people in the fields were speaking Kikongo. That was the lingua franca for Haiti during the time of the revolt. Not French, not Creole. You know, so, I mean, it, and, and, but Haiti is much more conscious of that, because if you look at, in, in, in the, the famous body language in, 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 um, from, the, from uh, the Congo, and it comes throughout the Americas, almost everybody who is African in America is recognizes that body language. And, and there's a famous one, it's called the drum major posture, but the real name is Telema. And the thing with Telema is that the, the Haitians called it Le Pose Congo. And in, in, in Haitian voodoo, they have, they have uh, these uh, paquets or charms made. They're, they're in Kisi, actually, made in Haiti. But in, in Haiti, they call them Pake Congo. So they, they also know Haiti is very clear about where these things come from and what they are and what their root are, well, what the root is. Well, it's quite interesting. You spoke about Telema right when uh, there is a movement with the Congolese youth using the hashtag Telema for right. change in the Congo. Right, upright. Yes. 
So speaking speaking back about uh, religion and liberation, do you think spirituality and religion had a lot to do with resistance movement in the Americas? It had everything to do with it. It had everything to do with it. It's, it's so funny because, like, you have two, um, in, in, in Spanish-speaking uh, um, countries are called palenques. These are maroon societies. You had two, one in, in Cuba and one in Brazil uh, called, in Brazil they're called quilombos, another Congo and a Kimbundu word. But in, 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 in um, they're, they're called Kalunga. Kalunga is another word for God in Kikongo. Uh, or actually in Kimbundu, too. Kalunga is from the verb lunga, to be whole and be complete in and of itself. So you're ending up with, with, with um, these maroon societies, which are the first direct resistance to, to um, oppressive from European forces. And they're using Congo terms to talk about themselves, to name themselves, but also the name of, the, of, of, these, of these maroon societies themselves are in Congo words. <clears throat> Just to be called Kalunga in Brazil or Kalunga in Cuba, they're telling you where they're coming from. They're telling you exactly what they're doing. Exactly. And uh, you, you're speaking a lot about uh, the maroons, but I'm not sure if our listeners even mm -hmm. understand the context of what are maroon societies. Oh, sure. And what I'd love to go into that because, actually, I, I, I teach at um, NYU and I teach at Columbia, and I teach a course called Cultures of Freedom, Quilombos, Palenques, and Maroon Societies in the Americas and Beyond. That's one course. The other course is called Honey is My Knife, African Spirituality in the Americas. You know, but, but maroons are one of the most important phenomena in the Americas, but they've been written out of the history because maroons are the evidence that Africans resisted. The maroons are the evidence that these, these the practices of enslavement was considered wrong. And people talk about, you know, a, um, a uh, freed slave. There's no such thing as a freed slave. Once you're freed, you're not a slave. Unless someone is saying that you've been a slave, you're a slave no matter what your social political condition is. So you have to, you have to be really careful. So maroon societies, I would prefer to call them self-liberated African societies. Mm. These are, and, and these were the first non-indigenous republics in the Americas. The, the, the Quilombo dos Palmares in Brazil, this started in 1600. There's no Brazil. There's, you know, there's no United States. This, this, is a, this is a republic that existed for almost 100 years in the middle of Brazil, of what would become Brazil. And they had treaties with the Portuguese, treaties with the Dutch, you know, of course, treaties with the Native Americans whose land everybody was stealing. You know, so it's a kind of interesting phenomenon. But, but uh, Quilombo dos Palmares was the first, one of the first non-indigenous republics in the Americas. This is before the, all these kind of European-based states existed. These were, I think, these were the idea, these were the, 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 the philosophical roots for Europeans realizing they didn't have to be a part of European colonies either. For the Americas, to, for the United States to declare itself free, for Brazil to declare itself free of Portugal, they're, they're doing this something that's already been established for 100 years by Africans. Wow. So Af Africans have all, you know, shown that you don't have to be, uh, you know, uh, dependent on the European powers. And when you're speaking of even Africans not being dependent on the European powers, I'm thinking of the millions of Africans who came in from Africa. I know when they came in, they had stripped them of their names, mm -hmm. um, they, their language. If you had drums, you couldn't use drums. How was spirituality used once they came into the uh, the New Americas to really get them through the process of uh, slavery and communicating to one another if everything was taken away from them? Yeah, well, everything wasn't taken away, and also you can't take culture away. And you know, there's Absolutely. a there's a great scholar of uh, African music, Gerhard Kubik, 
who's worked a lot in Central Africa. And Gerhard talks about um, cultural preparedness. That, you know, you can, if, if you remove the object of the drum, like after the Stono Rebellion, the Stono Rebellion was basically Central Africans in South Carolina who had a three-day religious ceremony using drums, and then they revolted and tried to destroy South Carolina, and then they fled to Florida, which was a Spanish territory at the time. But this was one of the first revolutions in the United States, and they don't even talk about it. You wouldn't even know they existed in the books. But but um, the the drum was instrumental in terms of that that uh, that happening in, in South Carolina. So that's when the drum started getting outlawed in South Carolina, but it was only outlawed in South Carolina. There are other places where drums stayed around. New Orleans, I think, always had the drum. In fact, in Congo Square, they had drums you know, and each different nation would have a, a, their own type of drumming and dancing. So, was there a specific reason um, that they outlawed it? I know that they were only used during celebrations, but what was well, the reason that they would outlaw drums? Because the drummers were associated with revolts, with people drumming and singing and revolting. You know, and that's, that's particularly the rebellion where, where they talked about people drumming for three days and then they started the revolt. So the drums were directly a year after the revolt, drums were outlawed. Can we make the analysis also around Brazil with uh, Zumbi? Uh, and do, do we see also some connection of the Congo with uh, the revolt that took place with Zumbi? Uh, well, well, Zumbi actually, it's, it's, it's right next to the Congo, because Zumbi, they were really from Angola. Well, actually, you know, that kind of description of Zumbi is, is a little strange, because it's Congo-Angola. When I talk about it, I normally talk about Congo-Angola because of the shared culture. Yeah. Right at that part, you know, um, uh, right now where Mbanza Congo is, is in Angola. You know, so so that and that was one of the old kingdoms of the Congo, but Zumbi, had, he was the the last king of of Palmares of uh, Kilomodos Palmares, and Zumbi was also um, that the language they spoke in um, Palmares was Kimbundu, you know, which is the you know uh, a, 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 the language of the Ndongo people who are right next to the Bakongo people in Africa, and but also uh, Palmares is set up on the Imbangala model. It's a model of a warrior society that comes out of out of uh, um, Central Africa, but even even the word the word they use in in Brazil for those maroon societies are uh, quilombos or um, mukambos. Quilombo is a word that's in both Kikongo and both in Kimbundu. In Kimbundu, it means a town or a settlement. In Kikongo, it means troops or military unit or an <coughs> excuse me an area of warrior training. Yeah. <coughs> So you're looking at a direct Central African connection, at least philosophically, to the military strategy and to the setting up of the Palenques or the Maroon societies. So heading back now to the religious aspect, what I'm hearing from you is that religion played a great role in the liberation movement in the Americas. Oh, of course uh, it did, yeah. What do you think we can really take from that now today, uh, given on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, we have lost uh, this great resource that is our culture, uh, the historical connection to our religion. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how much it's lost because it's been transformed, so it's not necessarily lost. Because mm -hmm. quite often the black church is, is, you know, like to me, a kind of Congo repository. The whole sense of the, the church being not just a place you go on Sunday, but a church where all the spiritual and social activities and political activities take place is part of the Central African idea of how religion is used. To, so you end up with the black church being the major form areas of resistance to segregation and racism 
system in the United States. And, and, and that's not lost. But just think about this, the, the, the church where those um, nine practitioners were just killed by, by a kind of uh, racist um, uh, separatist from, from South Carolina. That church was Denmark Vesey's church. Denmark yeah. Vesey, when he led the revolt, Denmark Vesey, both Denmark Vesey and Nat Turner were waiting for troops from Haiti to come help them. Haiti became the symbol of, of resistance to enslavement. You know, so they were waiting for troops from Haiti to, to come and help them in their revolt against oppression in, 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 in the United States. Yeah, you bring us back right to Haiti. But, well, you know, Haiti, Haiti is one of the most important places in the Americas, but it's written out of the, the, the history books because Haiti is seen as the real site of resistance to European oppression. They defeated Napoleon's army. What did they defeat Napoleon's army with? It was, one was the weather help that helped them. The cannons couldn't work in, in a wet field because you can't roll them on, on roads that are mud cause you can't, so you can't use them. But also they had uh, technology. The, the other strong part of, of Napoleon's army was the cavalry. But all you do, there's a, there's a, a very famous um, kind of spike made by the Haitians during the revolt. And this blacksmithing is the technology of the time. They, they made a spike, so whatever you throw, it's like jacks. Wherever you throw it, there's a spike that points up. So all you do is litter the roads with those, and the horses can't come by. So yeah. you've, killed, you've killed the cavalry. But also the strategy they used was a kind of Central African strategy. Like, as I mentioned last time, it's based on an idea called Nkomiye Nkomi Bunzimbu. Fist against fist is irrational. Uh, force against force is stupid is really what it's saying. And so they, would, they didn't line up like, like European armies and you shoot at me, then I shoot at you. They had small bands that attacked and dispersed. That we would call guerrilla warfare, but it was a standard Central African model of warfare. And that's what defeated Napoleon's army. They could not deal with that in, in the forest, they couldn't deal with it in the woods, you know. So you end up with with a, an African strategy, defeating supposedly the most powerful army in the world. Yeah, and uh, we played a song by Bookman Experience, where with the history, uh, would you mind sharing the history with uh, our listeners about the uh, the celebration or the ritual? that took place with Bookman and his historical context for the liberation of Haiti. Well, I'm glad you brought us back to that, too, because this supposedly is one of the first voodoo ceremonies. And voodoo is a kind of eclectic religious tradition in Haiti. And they talk about the 21 nations together. And then when it goes into um, that same Haitian religion, goes into the Dominican Republic, where it's called La Bentillon Division, where it becomes the 21 divisions. But you're really talking about 21 nations or different African nations coming together to form this religious tradition. Well, one of the first um, ceremonies was a cel the celebration of the slaughtering of a black pig by Bukman, which was the, the kind of mythic or at least the, the way Haitians refer to the beginning of the Haitian revolt. It came from a voodoo ceremony. And there are two basic types of voodoo. Too. There's voodoo rada, which is a heavy, because the word voodoo is, is, is from a foreign language. And there's voodoo rada, which is a Dahomean version of voodoo. But there's also a voodoo petwo or a voodoo congo, and it's, which is also known as voodoo lemba, which is a congo form of that religious tradition. And which, that was also in the United States. One of the most famous uh, priestesses of the United States of voodoo was Marie Laveau. Oh. She, Marie Laveau is called the Voodoo Queen of New Orleans, and she was she and her daughter were actually the political powers for almost a hundred years in New Orleans. Nobody from the shoeshine boy to the governor would do anything without consulting her or her daughter. They would make sure they would talk to her first. But she was she had a Congolese style um, voodoo system where she had a stake she called Grand Zombie, Grand and Zombie. So. 
As we're speaking of uh, spirituality, I wanted to ask you a specific question. How are they organized as religion throughout the Americas? And how can, how can somebody tell the difference at this point? Well, the, the basic um, bifurcation, the basic split in the Americas is between the Yoruba traditions and the Congolese tradition. The Yoruba traditions, you know, normally there's a, a reference to Yoruba deities, to the Orisha of the Yoruba land. But in, in terms of... of um, the Congo traditions throughout the Americas, you still have the Congo traditions, and but but they also they they will tell you that too. For for example, in Cuba, it's called um, Regla de Palo or the Rule of Palo, or Palo Monte or Palo Mayombe. Mayombe again is telling you that it's coming from the Congo. In Brazil, you have Candomblé, and Candomblé is from the word Candombe, which is which is it's, some say to be hit with black culture. That's a way of calling it. Then Dombe is black culture. So it's in 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 Brazil it's Candomblé Angola, which means that it's from Angola. It's also called Candomblé Congo. It's also they're also the Central African models are also called Umbanda or Macumba or Kachimbo. Now, you, but the words will tell you that they're Bantu language words. Well, if you if you start looking at them closely, you'll realize they're different from Yoruba, different from other words. So that tells you that, that what what they are. It, but it's, it's even kind of hidden in a lot of senses, though, because you have Christian traditions like um, uh, spiritual Baptists in places like Trinidad, but the, what the practices they do are using our Congo writing style. You yeah. know, they call them groundation drawings, but it comes coming out of Bindimbu, the writing system of the Congo. You know, so you, I mean, you, all you have to do is know some of the models in, in Africa, and that will help you understand that too. But, but again, it's, it, we, we talked about it, it's so hidden and it's so continuous. When you, when you look at things like, um, Jamaica, when people talk about, uh, reggae, mm-hmm. and reggae, you know, everybody loves reggae, and even, um, what's the name? Um, uh, Bob Marley talking about, I'm a Congo Bongo man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and then, but he's also, uh, he also singing about Kaya. But it's Kaya Makaya. These are Congo words for plants, but it's Congo words for plants, but, that's, but also code words for marijuana in, in, in the Americas, too. Yeah. But, well, speaking but, of um, Jamaica, if we can take a short break, because I really want to find out more about what you have to say. Um, let's sure. listen to Jamaican Yangimbi drumming in Jamaica singing oh, Kipu nice, Babylon. Thing, yeah. Yes, and it reminds us of funeral songs back in the Congo, so let's take a listen.
just listening to the song Keep Cool Babylon by Nyang- these are basically Nyangimi drummers um, one thing while I was listening to the song I noticed that they were saying the word Yesu uh, here we're listening to a song that's um, we're Jamaicans who are playing this but yet I know I speak Lingala and Yesu uh, means God and I know uh, when we hear the words like Nzambe or Nzambi how, how did that transition from um, the Congo to Jamaica. That's just something that I personally want to know because I didn't even know um, they used that same term. Well, it's funny because um, uh, Jamaica has a lot of different African influences and Congo is one of them that's kind of hidden because everybody talks about Ghanaians in Jamaica. You know, and because there's a large Ghanaian population and in some of the maroon societies in, in Jamaica, in the Akongpong maroons and the Leeward maroons, they, they speak three. They call it Cromanti, but they, they do speak a Ghanaian language. But there's also, uh, there's a heavy influence in the Congo. In the 1800s, early 1800s, they started having a lot of indentured servants come to Jamaica, and they came from the Congo. And there's a woman, Monica Shula, who's written a lot about it, called Alas, Alas, Congo. And one of my friends, um, uh, Fukia, has written about that, too. He talked about Kumina, a, a, a um, Congo-based religion in Jamaica. And Kumina is ancestral veneration in Jamaica. So it's influenced the, the, the music, also it influenced the Rastafarians too, although the Rastafarians are, are, are interesting because they're really messianic Christians is what Rastafarianism is you know, but they, they, they say that drumming comes out of Naya Bingi drumming but where does Naya Bingi drumming come from? Naya Bingi is a word from East Africa but it's, there are no East Africans in Jamaica at least very few, but Naya Bingi drumming comes out of two older Congo styles of drumming in Jamaica one is called Buru and the other one is Kumina and Kumina is a, is a, a um, uh, Central African religion in Jamaica so where people still speak Kikongo. One of, the, one of the top scholars on it was Fukiao, and Fukiao was a great Congolese scholar, but Fukiao and another uh, scholar, Ken Bilby, they, they wrote a book on Kumina, and they talked about the language, and they were breaking the language down, just talking about where, where it came from. And Ken Bilby is the one who did the work on the, the Naya Bingi music. 
and the fact that it's based on, on Buru and Kumina, Kumina music, two other um, older Congolese forms of music in Jamaica. We want to remind our listeners who want to participate in this conversation to call us at 410-481, I'm sorry, 410-481-1010. And in case you don't have your pen next to you and you need a little bit of time to grab that pen, it's 410-481-1010. And we currently have a call right now, if we can go ahead and take that call. Hello, how are you doing today? And who do we have on the phone today? Hey, this is Lubangi. How are you, Patricia? Oh, hi, Lubangi. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, listening, uh, I want to. I have a question for uh, Mr. Dawson. Absolutely, go ahead. Yes, how are you, uh, Mr. Dawson? Oh, Lubangi, it's always good to hear your voice. You're one of my idols. <laughs> <laughs> always great to hear. Uh, this is great. This is great. I I, I had a question <clears throat> for. For some of us who have uh, uh, followed you and listened to your great talks, I wanted you to, to uh, uh, touch a little bit about uh, syncretism. How, you know, when you look at these uh, representations of uh, scents, some of them are white, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, we're dealing with uh, African spirituality. Uh, you know, it, it, it could be confusing. Uh, can you just touch a little bit about that and explain yeah, I, how? I think one of the, one of the things is that, like, if if you look at something like a a, a, a Pake Congo, Pake Congo from Haiti is made out of satin and silk, but it's a bound material. It's a bound universe, and it's tied, and then it's wrapped with feathers from above, re- representing powers from above. The feathers are powers of raptors or powers of storms. Mm-hmm. Now, if if you change the materials into the you know the the kind of uh, uh, bark cloth from the Congo. Then you have the exact same object. So don't be confused by the external materials because the essence of it, the reason, the rationale for making it is coming straight out of Central African ideas. So even when you see a Catholic saint, the Catholic saint is representing an African power in, in the syncretized world. You know, so you know, and the uh, Congolese and the the, the um, other Africans who came, they didn't come as racist. They weren't denying any other tradition. They were just looking at the appropriateness of aspect of other traditions for their ideas. But the ideas didn't go away. They were just disguised in terms of um, the cover story. But inside it is, is real Central African idea. This is funny because we talked about Candomblé. Now, Candomblé is, a, is obviously an older Congo uh, tradition, but it's broken into nations in Brazil so that the nation will indicate through contemporary ones. So it could be a Candomblé Nago, which would be a Yoruba tradition, or it could be Candomblé Angola, which would be a Bantu tradition. But you take that same word and you go to Argentina and it's Candombe. And it becomes, the word becomes part of a, a ceremony that leads to the formation of tango. It's a dance. But one of the great um, Afro-Argentine dancers, uh, Facundo Posado, told us one day, he said, look, we had a club called the Shimmy Club. And so we would, we would have regular tangos, and then at midnight we turned it into a candombe, and we would put out all the Europeans, and we would do candombe as a religious ceremony, candombe as a veneration of ancestors. So you're looking at, you know, something that has one aspect of the popular culture, then another side that becomes part of the sacred culture. We just have to know where the key turn that key. And thank you so much for that. I um, Thank you, Mr. Lubangi, for calling us. And for our listeners who don't know, that is our producer. It's always uh, great to learn from you. And for you to call in, that must mean you are really learning a lot as much as we are on this show. And thank you for calling us today. Well, you know, I, ha- I have to say that 
Half of what I know comes from Lubangi. We used to work together at the Museum for African Art. When I, I was director of education, and he became director of education after me also. But we, we would go through ideas. And I, you know, I'd say, well, Lubangi, what do you have for this kind of movement? He'd say, well, we call it this. We call it that. In Dalamundo, we call it, you know, but he'd give me the terms in the Congo because we have the form. We might have lost the term. So you end up with, with these great boxers who move a certain way. And we think it just it pops out of nowhere. No, it came out of African ideas about movement. And so the Africans would, of course, have a term for it. I would get the term from Lubangi for that, too. It seems like African spirituality in the Americas has been hidden from the rest of the world. Why, why would that be? Well, because it's very much like, why don't we know about Native American spirituality? Absolutely. Because if we have a spirituality, then it makes the crime against us even more egregious. If all of a sudden if we're, we're, we're civilized with spirituality, with great philosophical traditions, then to enslave us is also a bigger crime. So it's the same with Native American. If they had cultures and civilizations, then to destroy them in supposed progress is, is, is just the biggest hypocrisy in the planet. And for our listeners who are listening in, where, where can we find some of this information? Because I know um, one hour, like I mentioned earlier, is uh, a short amount of time to learn so much. Uh, so much terminologies are being thrown left and right. Where mm-hmm. can some of our listeners go to well, if they want to find out more of what you're speaking of? There's a, a, a kind of large book list which I put together for you, and I think you posted okay. last time. We want to think that that book list is really a really good start for that too. But it's the works of of um, Robert Ferris Thompson, mm-hmm. the works of Fukiao, Doctor Fukiao and the works of Barbara Martinez-Ruiz, they would be really helpful in terms of understanding this material. And we want to remind our listeners who are interested in finding a little bit more of some of the bibliographies and where to get some of these references to go on our Facebook page on Congo Live, uh, which is on Facebook, and you can always go on our website, www.congolive.org. It's such an honor to have you, Mr. Dawson, on our show. Well, and, Patricia... Uh, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed this. You know, so. <laughs> oh, we, I, I can tell you, I'm about to go home and pull out my books and pull out the Congo Life page and start doing my uh, research because there's a lot that I need to learn. Well, one of the best things, too, is is, uh, is a dictionary by um, um, Laman. It's called Kikongo uh, Francais. And the thing about the dictionary, though, is that you, as... as, as um, uh, Gerhard Kubik points out, the ethnomusicologist I mentioned earlier points out, he said, any time it says origin unknown, it said a red flag should go up. So when you come across words that you they don't have it in the standard etymological dictionaries, get a, get a Congolese, a Yoruba dictionary, get an African-based dictionary, and you start finding these terms. And thank you so much for offering us that uh, last bit of information. It's always an honor to have you on the show, and thank you, um, Kamali. This was really uh, education, and I look forward to hopefully having you again on the show if you have time for us. Oh, are you serious? I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is why I study, you know, so I can share it. Well, we exactly. Oh, go ahead. Kamali, Patricia, thank you again. <laughs> thank you. And Kamali, did you have something you wanted to say before we head out? Best way to end this show will be by saying... A people without knowledge of their past and history, origin and culture is like a tree without roots. roots. I definitely love that quote, and thank you. Thank you, Honorable Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey, absolutely. And thank you so much for all our listeners for listening um, with us today on Congo Live. We will be here next Saturday at 2 o'clock. We have a special guest, and I'm not going to give it out there, but it's going to be a fun Saturday, and we hope that you guys tune in um, next Saturday. We also want to thank our guest Daniel Dawson and Lubangi Munyanya, who also called in our producer from Tabilulu Productions. Uh, we want to thank Daniel Lin 
for um, our social media and Shay, our Congo Live engineer, for doing such an amazing job of uh, playing the music. And you guys have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Thank you.